Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Expanse, Holosuite Media's exclusive Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris Hill, and with me as always, well, unless Daniels takes him away, is uh, Kyle West. How you doing, Kyle? I'm doing really well. Bank holiday weekend, actually, for us, so I've got a little bit of a tan coming on again, so I'm feeling good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, past couple of days, the weather's been mild. We had a couple showers Friday that kind of cooled everything down, and took away the humidity which you guys don't really deal with no no like only for like two days a year we don't get much good weather down here so yeah i can say yesterday heather and i went uh antiquing and first thing i found that was even remotely star trek related i, I just had to send you a picture because it was russell watson's cd that had the enterprise theme on it which was hilarious because obviously as you sent that to me anyway like it's funny anyway yeah but the fact that it was for about five days before our music of enterprise episode dropped yeah <laughs> so it just seemed just even more fitting it's like it's destined that episode mm-hmm. was destined to be like all the chatter that was on our social media as well about the theme song. It was like, man. Perfect time for it. Definitely. Of course, as we record this, that actually happened about <laughs> a month ago. <laughs> yeah. For listeners. But for us, it still hasn't even happened yet. The episode hasn't dropped. A couple other neat things I found while I was out. Uh, found some next-gen plates. It was Worf, Deanna, and Jordy. Those were like 10 bucks. They didn't really call it to me. Found a couple of the uh, action figures. And then the I think the 30th anniversary Barbie set where... Ken and Barbie are dressed in the TOS uniforms. Do you get those? No, no. (laughs) Heather thought about it, but Ken had dropped his tricorder, so she wasn't too sure Uh. about about it there. Then, yeah, we went up to uh, Half Price Books, and I looked in a section that I don't really look at, which is, you know, they have like a section that's behind glass and stuff, and happened to see the blueprints for the 1701D for only 20 bucks, and it was signed by Marina Sirtis and Mike Picuda, so I decided to go ahead and pull the trigger on that one. Well, you probably sell that for a lot more. (laughs) <laughs> online if you wanted to brilliant well done man shops like that yard sales garage sales mm. things like that you'll find you'll be amazed at what you find with stuff like that well talking about my antiquing and thrifting finds is not what we're here for today but there's nice nice little inter- intro for us today we're actually going to be uh, talking about the andorian incident the first appearance chronologically you could say if you start start with broken bow and work your way forward for the andorians so kyle do you want to go ahead and give us a quick rundown Okay, get comfortable wherever you are, listeners. <laughs> Here we go. Let's get the, uh, the summary of the plot. So, in this early first season episode, we open in a Vulcan monastery, uh, which very quickly is attacked by, I think it was about four Andorians, yeah. or as I've written, four men with blue antennae. They're Andorians. Following the beautiful theme song, we discover that Archer wants to stop by the very same monastery that we just saw get attacked. He checks with DePaul that this is cool to do, but he's clearly not going to take no for an answer anyway, so she's agreeable with it. Soon after, DePaul's prepping Trip and Archer for the encounter at the monastery. She says that they're not going to be expected, as the monastery does not have any technology, including communication devices. Hmm. Hmm. On the planet.
it, Archer and Trip notice that the doors to the monastery have sort of been battered. No one answers the big gong, so the team enter. The Vulcan presence tries to make out that it's a bad time and that they should leave, but Paul senses something's wrong and alerts Archer, who soon spots an Andorian hiding. Trip and Archer try to take him out, but it backfires and they all end up being taken hostage. As the episode goes on, the leader of the Andorians, a man named Shran, who we'd get to know a lot more as the show progresses, becomes more and more certain that Archer works with the Vulcans and that Archer has information that would confirm the Vulcans are using the monastery to spy on the Andorians. After discovering that there are secret catacombs that have access to a communication device, Archer has Trip contact Enterprise to confirm their situation. This leads to a plan to beam in Reed and a tactical team, which ultimately results in a firefight that had the Andorians retreat into the catacombs. Whilst there, a big steel door is discovered and opened by Archer. When he sees what's on the other side, he calls for a ceasefire. See what I did there? That Mm -hmm. ceasefire episode title, season two. Sure enough, the Andorians were right. The Vulcans are spying on them. They have a massive underground base that is full of surveillance tech. Very pissed off. Archer has to Paul take as many readings as you can and then give them to Shran, who confirms that he is now in Archer's debt. The end. And actually, I think we're in your debt just then defines the rest of the show. Yeah, why it winds up becoming a running gag. It does, yeah, yeah. So that's the episode. It starts off in the monastery and it ends in the monastery. What were some of your first thoughts watching it? You remember so much about this episode because it's such a famous episode from the first season Mm -hmm. that I think you sometimes forget that not a lot happens in the episode for a very long time. Like, it's all building towards this extended action sequence. So I was excited to watch it, though, because you always remember that it's the Andorians, you know, it's the first time we see them and the Vulcans, and mm-hmm. it's really the first true bit of world building that Enterprise does for its universe or century that it takes place within. I was really excited to watch it. I get literally, I think, the same feelings when I watch the episode all the time. Like, yeah. nothing changes for me with this one. I just enjoy watching it. I enjoy the same bits every time. So, yeah, I mean, I liked watching it. It's a very significant episode that is not my favourite of season one, but I do consider it, you know, one of the most memorable of Enterprise. How about you? When I first watched it, I kind of enjoyed it. Like, you know, this is this is kind of an interesting take on how Andorians and Vulcans dealt with each other before we saw them on Journey to Babel. And in subsequent rewatches, it's kind of been a personal favorite. In fact, last year when I was working on going through it on Twitter, I said, this is one of the best of the first season. I, it really sets the groundwork for things to come. And we get to see Shran for the first time. Those those are the really, really the highlights that really... If we were to try to cut out episodes from the first season, this one would actually stay within it. Just because of what it sets up and what gets paid off later on in, in the series as well. Yeah, if you were going to take a list of all the episodes of Enterprise mm-hmm. and say, okay, how can we condense this list down into one season that tells the whole story of the show? And you'd probably have Broken Bow and then you'd have the Andorian incident, wouldn't yeah. you? You can't miss it out because it shapes... Well, isn't it? there's a sequel to it this season. Shadows of Pajam. Yeah, there's Ceasefire in season two. Mm-hmm. It then builds into how we see the Andorians in season three, where they want to get the weapon themselves right. to attack the Vulcans. And then we see in season four, they're about to, in the Vulcan trilogy, they're going to attack Andoria, or the fleet, I can't remember what it was, where they were going to attack. And then we obviously have the Romulan through part of that season where they're trying to make an alliance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it all starts here. 
It's literally all in this episode. And I'd forgotten as well just about the stuff with Reed. I loved the stuff with Reed in this episode. He was really take charge this episode than, than in, in the previous ones. And really, you know, starting out that, that extra pip that he's got compared to everybody that was left. He's more authoritative in command in this one than I think he ever is again in any episode. He just steps up to the plate. When he was really taking charge on the bridge, I think after they'd found out that Archer was captive, as the scene ended, I thought, wow, I could imagine Reed as a captain. Yeah, yeah. And and we don't really get to see see anything like that again until, like, I think Twilight, really, when he actually is a captain. Yeah, I just think he, he was really good in it. Uh, I was a massive Reed fan very early on because he was British and mm-hmm. obviously I identify with that. So I think at the time when this aired, I was in love with this. I was watching versions of episodes through means I shouldn't have been when Enterprise (laughs) was first airing. So honestly, guys, this is on dial-up internet. I can admit to it now. I don't think I can get arrested now. But, you know, in 2001, I was using dial-up internet to to download on Kazaa. It was called Kazaa, I think, the site. I was downloading these episodes and it would take me three to four days, man. Yeah, I was going to say at least half a week to get the episode. And nothing like the quality that you could... Well, I imagine you could get nowadays on a stream. (laughs) Like, I remember having this one, and I can't remember when I stopped doing it and waited for TV, but all the hype that was online about this episode, I didn't really understand the Andorian hype because Mm -hmm. I had never been, like, a TOS diehard. I'd seen a lot of them. I remember there being a Andorian in... I think you just see one in the background in Voyage Home, I think. Is there an Andorian in there? You see a couple walking around there in Voyage Home and I think in Undiscovered Country as well. And and I remember like the talking about that and the hype about the new moving antennae. That was like a big yeah. thing at the time on StarTrek.com and things. And I remember Ed and I remember being on TrekBBS.com and seeing, even though there was lots of controversy about the show at the time, mm-hmm. as we see with all the tracks now as well, Yep, shockingly. But it seemed to be that everyone loved the Andorian incident. Apart from the Vulcan lion thing, where it was like just a little bit of ammo that the haters needed. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone was like, wow, these Andorians have been reinvented perfectly. And so when I finally watched it, I still remember now when I finally watched it, I felt like I was watching some Trek history. Mm-hmm. We didn't know anything about this Vulcan and Andorian rivalry before, did we? No, because the most, the most we ever really got interaction was in Journey to Babel and... The uh, Andorian ambassador there only said, you know, that they were a more passionate race than the Vulcans. And that's where we found find out that the Tellarites like to argue and yeah. the Vulcans were more the level-headed ones. And Perfect, then, from the writers on this episode. Yeah, to pick it up and run with it. You know, I wonder, did they know that it was going to become such an important part of the... Well, they must have, because they knew that these were founding races in the of the Federation. So they must have known the, the importance of it. But big fan of the episode. Like I said, not my favorite, but I wouldn't ever skip this one. You know? No. Really, I wouldn't skip any of them except for... No, the, I was going to well, say... Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't really skip any of them from Broken Bow to Terra Prime, so... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's series finale, Terra Prime. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash 
NX01 podcast to view our subscription tiers. Benefits of becoming a patron include earlier access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we will be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash nx01 podcast for more details you will also be able to find the website link in the details for this podcast episode now and also since i've seen ds9 since since some of my more recent rewatches of enterprise this also marks uh jeffrey combs's return as a sort of main guest cast character and I think that's also kind of what's what's brought on more of, more of our popularity lately is the people that have loved DS9 have gotten drawn in because of Jeffrey Combs as Shran. It must be painful for them to admit that actually Shran is his definitive Star Trek character. Yeah. He played Brunt, I think, didn't he? And Wayun Brunt. Yeah. Wayun 2 or whatever they were. Yeah. That, all, all the Wayun clones, put it that way. And he was great as Wayun. And I hated Wayun when I was younger, but Shran is his character, and we know that Shran would have become a series regular if the show had, uh, had gone on for series five. Manny Koto conf- confirmed that. He's just a fantastic actor, isn't he? And he gets under makeup and still be mm. so, like, his eyes and his, his mouth. Just the way that he's able to express himself through all that. And differently. Mm-hmm. Like, he hasn't just got the go-to, one go-to alien character. You think of how Wayun would carry himself and often be looking down his nose at, at those around him. Uh, and Whereas Shran is, like, intense, and he's, his movements are ready to fight at any moment. Always suspicious of what the next move is going to be, with Bryant just basically trying to get under the skin to the Frank we like. I think, like, one of his first characters on DS9 basically uses the holodeck for what everybody uses the holodeck for. <laughs> Do you want to see him appear in the new tracks? Are you surprised he hasn't been asked to appear? I am a little bit, but I've seen I've seen some of his comments where he wasn't exactly sure with with the directions that they were going and everything. But especially with recently his headshot up next to uh, Doctor Boyce's from the Cage, hmm. I think that would be the perfect entry for him to come in. And he said that if they call him for it, he's not going to tell them no. I remember seeing all that, but I think at the same time there was a rumor that Boyce was already cast. Yeah, but this thing with Jeffrey Combs just sort of built its own momentum anyway so it must not have gone unnoticed and I would expect that they'll just for some goodwill they'll bring him onto one of the shows you know even if it's lower decks yeah I feel like they're gonna use him in some way see they could also bring him back as Shran because I don't think it's really been defined how long Endorians live so there is the possibility that Shran is still alive yeah I mean if Shran appeared in Strange New Worlds, would you be like, what the hell? Or would you be like, yeah, I can see that. He doesn't seem old right now. Yeah, we can't really tell how old Andorians are because their hair is always white anyways. But I'd definitely be one of those, hell yeah, you know, screaming and pointing at my screen as as, as he appears. I'd love to see more with Shran. Maybe that could be a short trek. Let's add it to the list. The list of short treks we need to see of Enterprise. Oh, I didn't mention as well, this episode is directed by uh, Roxanne Dawson, who played Balana in Voyager. So she did a couple of Enterprise episodes, I think. Yeah. Yep, this one in the Dead Stop come yep. to mind. Going back towards Voyager, Jeffrey Combs' character in Voyager was, you know, your typical carnival barker, because it was in that, that one that the Rock's also in. 
Was that after or before DS9 ended? I think it was after. Ah, oh, right. So I was, I was trying to work out if Shran was the first character that he played after the end. But yeah, I don't think it was, was it? So No. No, I think he did a stellar job in this episode mm-hmm. and stood out. I do wonder if he knew it was going to be... I've not seen an interview with him where he stated that he knew it was going to turn into a recurring role. Yeah, he did great with it. How could you see that episode as, and be on the writing team and not want to write more for Shran? Exactly. It, it takes that kind of actor to be like, hey, let's write for him more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I thought he was great. And he doesn't really change as the show goes on, you know, like yeah. how he is there. They've defined him almost straight away. And that's mm-hmm. just that is he is always that character coming back, uh, apart from obviously softening to the humans and stuff. But let's also remember that he ultimately causes the death of one of our hero characters. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. That didn't happen. With our season five rewrite, that does not happen. These are the voyages has been thrown in the bin. What did you think about the the Vulcans' attitudes towards the Andorians, and vice versa? I'm not so protective of the Vulcans as I think a lot of Star Trek fans are. I, I know the idea that the Vulcans were lying is awful to people. They can't lie. Vulcans don't lie, and it's like, well, we don't know that really. There's not that many Vulcan stories after TOS. Yeah. I know there was Tuvok, but he was away from the Vulcans. He was separated. Right. So we've never really dived into Vulcan society after after we departed the original series crew, you know. So got no problem with them having lied and spying on the Andorians. It fits for how Enterprise was portraying the Vulcans as well. and That era of history, basically, it works perfectly because you've got to have a starting point where everybody's all fractured to bring them together. Yeah, and I know they did some good work in Season 4 to explain mm-hmm. these lying Vulcans, and we'll cover that in great detail as we go on. But the only problem I do have with it is this whole lying and scheming thing. Because these Vulcans can live for a long time, mm-hmm. a lot of these Vulcans will still be alive when TOS is going on, you know, and... And when we've yeah. seen Vulcans a certain way. So I guess if actually they had a lifespan like us, and maybe it was two or three generations removed by TOS or TNG, I think then it would be easier to grasp this idea that the Vulcans were behaving very, very differently in Enterprise, you know. But I never quite understood their hatred for the Andorians. I guess the only way I can look at it is how it's similar to what they think of the humans, in that they just find them overly... like. The Andorians celebrate their aggressiveness and their, whereas the Vulcans obviously try to restrain them theirs. Maybe they see a lot of themselves in the Andorians. They know that they once upon a time were like that. Yeah, and with us humans at this time, we're one of those that hey, we're like hey, yeah, we acknowledge that we're we can be as ready to kick your ass as Andorians are. But then again, we also see the wisdom and logic where you know if there's a way around it without having to kick your ass, we'll try that first. Humans are sitting on the middle of the scale, aren't they? Whereas you've got Vulcan on one side, Andorians other, and we're just there in the middle. And you're right, yeah, the humans have a grasp of both sides of mm-hmm. behaviour and, uh, and emotion. So, I don't know, how do you feel about it? I mean, you're a, obviously a, a diehard TOS guy, and so now that you've gone through all of Trek and come back, because I know you said Enterprise, you watched Enterprise before the other ones, so coming back to Enterprise now, do you feel differently in how they were portrayed? Not really, because to me, I see the way that they portrayed them in Enterprise, and I always have, is this is how the Vulcans would have acted from the time, basically, of first contact up until the end of the series. And a thing that a lot of the TOS diehards seem to forget was a line in The Undiscovered Country where Spock outright calls Valeris out on a lie, and she simply says, a choice. And here they are choosing to tell 
one story to logically hide what they're doing. Where they're using logic to justify their actions. Well, Tuvok mm-hmm. lies in the very first episode of Voyager. He's called out on being undercover. I can't remember yeah. what the excuses that he gives for it, but he's called out immediately for the fact that he's lied for so long to Chakotay yeah. and Alana. And so there's history for it. And actually, if anything, Enterprise kind of adds to that. It gives it more of a firm foundation other than just, oh, hey, this was just a Vulcan here, a Vulcan there, or... You know, this Vulcan's actually part Romulan as well. Yeah, because that was always the thing, wasn't it? If someone wasn't behaving completely logical and containing their emotions and such, it was like, oh, maybe they're half Romulan. Or or half human. But I love now, it's like, well, no, the Vulcans have that in them, actually. And Yeah. And they shouldn't all be perfect. Even Spock was half human because... Yeah. It's just boring to have a proper, dull, logical Vulcan. Even Paul had to soften and have a drug addiction. And... Yeah, and I must say that actually her hair in this episode wasn't the greatest. Mm. It didn't really fit for me. It's the most jarring part when you go back and watch early Enterprise. Yeah. is how different her, her wigs are. And her makeup. I think her face makeup. Yeah, is... face makeup was a little different too. But I thought she was really good in this episode. Mm-hmm. Jolene Blaylock, I thought. There's a couple of scenes in particular. Right at the end... Like when she, when she with everyone else sees that the Vulcans were lying, she genuinely like the stuff going on in her face. Yeah, she's it's horrified. Like, dude, I legit thought this was just a monastery. What the hell? You can see in her eyes, and this is how good she is. You mm-hmm. can see in her eyes that she's questioning everything. Yeah, that she's like it's like, it's like it really is one. It's like the first time that we see it of of several throughout Enterprise as a whole, but this is the first time you see her questioning her Vulcan foundations that like mm-hmm. everything's built on for her and so I thought she was great there and the bit where she's with Archer under the blanket yeah he's obviously trying to test her loyalties and such and she says you know I've never disobeyed one of your orders and I thought she was really good then and just when she was trying to give the guys instructions before they went down to the planet and she had her eyes just intently set on trip when she was talking about not yeah. touching anything <laughs> I just think she's the best Oh, people are going to chew me out for it. <laughs> Even you might. I think she's the best Vulcan in Star Trek for me. Well, I'll let it pass because you said Vulcan and not, you know, Vulcan or Half. Vulcan hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You get that? Like, the thing with, with Spock is that, oh my gosh. I mean, yes, let's be honest. For me to argue that Spock isn't the definitive Vulcan is ridiculous. And I'm not kind of saying that. I guess I'm saying I enjoy T'Pol's whole portrayal more because she was doing something that Spock and Leonard Nimoy didn't have to do. She was having to play the logical Vulcan. And uh, I never liked Tuvok. I never got into Tuvok on Voyager. I just, no, I just, I just didn't like him. Whereas what Jolene Blaylock did with T'Pol was totally different. And mm-hmm. with Leonard Nimoy as well, he was having to find the Vulcan. Yeah, having to find it at first, you know, being really shouty and... Yeah, exactly. There's inconsistencies, which they're trying to fix now. <laughs> you know, yeah. doing short tracks and stuff to try and explain that away. But with T'Pol, all that had been established. So we just got to see her start off with everything we knew about Vulcans and, and change over time. And I just think, such a cracking actress. Mm-hmm. T'Pol is one of my favourite Star Trek characters by by a mile. And that is not just down to the writing, which is fantastic for her, but just down to the work of the actor. Yeah. Here's a curveball for you, actually. If you could change one thing about this episode to, to make it maybe even that much better, what would you add? Um, well, I'll tell you for one of the first things I'll change, mm-hmm. <laughs> which wouldn't change anything. But I think last week I mentioned hating how Star Trek uses the word but for someone's yeah. ass. 
And sure enough, it's in this episode. <laughs> Archer, I think, talks about getting knocked on their butt or something. I can't remember. And I was like, oh, it's like, just kill it. I'll tell you what I would change. And this is like a recurring thing, I think, at the start of Enterprise. But it's more in this episode. The whole talk about the numbing agents for, for her nose. the smell yeah, of humans... I think it gets dropped like four or five times in this episode. Yeah. It's too much. Like the blanket scene earlier that you're talking about. Yeah, they just, it comes up all the time. And I think, yeah, that one by then when she said, oh, I haven't. Like 24 hours. Yeah, since I've had my numbing agent. I, at that point, I was like, oh, this is just, I, I'm bored of this now. Like, yeah. it's not even funny anymore. And I don't know why they kept thinking it was such a hilarious gag to overplay that much in one episode. I just didn't get it. So that was the only problem I had with the episode. I thought some of Roxanne Dawson's choices were interesting. Mm-hmm. There's like two shots in particular when Shran is punching Archer and the first time he's been interrogated. And we see it from Archer's point of view. Yeah. When he's getting hit and so the camera's sort of swinging around a little bit as he's been hit. And I can't really remember trek doing too much of that no kind of camera work generally in my head can't think of many well any occasion they're probably some people will know some i just off the top of my head can't think of any so i thought that was interesting you can see her she's been told okay we're doing this and this differently to voyager and she's playing with it trying to add a little bit of her own thing to it so i wasn't sure i felt about those scenes because i didn't feel like she committed to them 100 yeah. percent. she did she did some new stuff but it was kind of like let's just try this and see what happens they suddenly don't feel quite right because she didn't commit to them but i would change you know the vulcan who is at the end trying to the one who accidentally shoots the curtain down and then mm-hmm. he, he's like threatening to kill him at the end unless they hand over their information and such I thought he was awful. Yeah. I thought the actor playing him was diabolical to the point where he's so awkward. He's so awkward. Like, you didn't see him as a threat when he pulls yeah. the gun out. And I know he gets taken out of one punch, but he was so bad that I don't know why he wasn't changed during production. Like, I don't even know how he got through his audition. <laughs> Genuinely. I thought maybe he's meant to be like that. Yeah, like I say, that's a possibility too. I was laughing at him. He's just awful. I didn't take him serious as a threat at all. I mean, it was funny when he was trying to fire the phaser and it was just like going everywhere. But yeah, I, I didn't like him. But I would, there's not much I would change, to be honest. I enjoy this episode. I wonder if I watched it now with commercial breaks, how would it feel to watch? Because yeah. I think through the entire time I've watched it, I've always watched it without breaks. You know, I had the illegal copy that I mentioned before, which wouldn't have had breaks. And yeah. I may have watched it once on Sky as it was airing then, because as it started actually airing, I also watched the episodes each week. So I've probably seen it one time with commercial breaks in 19 years. And I just wonder if it would have been a little bit slow with that. But there's so much going on here. And I think you always look really fondly at this episode, knowing what it creates for later down the line. I think really that's kind of what makes it a better episode is because you know that this is setting up what's going to come. Yeah. And even at the time when we didn't know what was going to come, it gave us a hint Mm -hmm. of what was going to come. And that made it exciting as well. And there's just some few things about this episode that were different anyway. Like I think off the top of my head, it's the first episode where its teaser opens away from the Enterprise. Yeah, I think so. The Enterprise crew, I think it's the first time we see that. I can't remember how Strange New Worlds opens. Oh, they see the planet as they're approaching. Yeah, so I don't think any other episode opens away from there uh, until this point. We got to find out how long they've actually been on the mission. Mm-hmm. Paul mentions, I think it's been nine weeks and four days since. It gives us some sort of time scale for this. I love the moment with Reed at the transporter. 
Because yeah. they do very bravely get on there, but even then he's like, you know... Hurry up before I change my mind. <laughs> it's like a throwback to the first episode where Reed really just spoke about the fact that he wasn't going to be keen to use this transporter. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice little throwback. But it just showed how brave Reed was. Like, he's there, mm-hmm. he's got to save the captain. And I thought Reed kicked ass. Not just what we said about, like, on the bridge, but this was the first time we ever really saw Reed in action, like, in a combat situation where it was going well. Yeah. So often <laughs> for Reed in the early days, it just... Like, he finally got to blow up something when he blew up the face of that yeah. uh, that wall and things. And, you know, even when he was targeting the phasers, it went, it failed miserably. I thought Archer was a bit of a dick to, to Paul at the end, specifically. Yeah, it's like he didn't see her reactions when she found out at the same time he did. Yeah, and he's using her as a way to vent his anger. Because when you think about it, I don't think he was so annoyed that he'd been lied to. I think it was more a case like he was beaten up. Mm-hmm. he didn't battered they were just in a phase of fight that could have killed someone mm-hmm. and then he finds out that he and the andorians have been getting played so i get that but like, i don't understand why he directed it all at to paul i think he knew that that she would take it and kind of you know understand but still it's not a good look for you archer it wasn't no and when she got to hand him the pad with the data and he's like give it to shran he makes her do it and as he started doing that, I was like, oh, man, Archer, you are really being a bit of a dick to her right now. <laughs> but then I realized as she did it that I think he was using it as a final test of where her loyalty lies. Yeah. He got her to do it because he was like, I think, not that he was being calculating, but I think he saw an opportunity there that this was a chance to make her his mm-hmm. on the ship. And because I do think he, yeah, I think he must have sensed her sense of betrayal a little as well, even though he was taking it out on her. But what looked like a dick move at first, it was kind of like, oh, I think he's he's just testing to see where she's at on this. And I think she passed with flying colours, especially yeah. when she contacts the Enterprise then and tells them to, to leave them go. But yeah, Archer, I thought, I thought Scott Bakula was very good in this episode. Mm-hmm. And you know why? I just remembered now. One reason I loved this episode at the time as well when it aired, and it's something I've mentioned previously, like in the Broken Bow review we did, is that I loved seeing the captain getting beaten up again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which we hadn't had a little bit. You know, Cisco wasn't really that kind of commanding officer. And Janeway, you know, they certainly weren't ever going to... Throw her in a fight. Yeah, because there's just a, a thing about... We saw Janeway tougher in different ways. But you right. know, even nowadays, there's a real... I guess there's not much enthusiasm, obviously, for, for clear reasons to show a woman getting beaten up on right. TV. So, you, so you're not going to show that. But with Archer... You could show it. And it was kind of cool to see the captain getting beaten up and stuff. So I just loved everything with Archer and Scott Bakula in this episode. So, And I remember at the time watching it, 15-year-old Kyle being like, oh, yes, again, this is my captain. I mean, I probably should be cheering and winning the fights. But it yeah. was just cool to see because it just gives you throwbacks to Kirk with the bleeding lip and the ripped shirts. Yeah. What I grew up on. One of my favorite favorite moments was when he kind of tricks the Andorians to get him out to throw the that little statue through the mouth. Yeah. Where... He's like, oh, you guys want information? Well, did you know that like 70% of our life forms on Earth are bacteria? There's this guy that in Canton, Ohio, that made a string ball like six meters tall. <laughs> just giving him a whole bunch of useless shit. <laughs> I thought a bit funny. I just, every time I watch it, I cringe because I just keep thinking if I was, like there's one punch where he gets hit mm-hmm. and he gets, and he goes straight through all the ornaments around there. And yeah. I just thought. If that was me, I would have let go of the, you know, the piece he's going to throw through the holes yeah. to check that it's where it is. And you'd take a hit like that. How the hell do you still hold on to it? I have a way. They have little pockets inside the sleeves. Because if you remember, he stuck, <laughs> sticks it up in the sleeve. 
But that big punch he takes, I think, is after he's put it into his hand, though. Okay. And I'm just like, wow. Not in, like, in a, like... I'm not doing it in, like, in a question in the, the way the scene was made. I just mean, like... Because if it was me, I would spill it. You know, if, if I got hit like that, I think I would just be like, whoa. And it would come out my hand and plan would be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Ruined. I guess you kind of see hints of later Archer mm-hmm. with, you know, he giving the information to Shran and pissed off at the Vulcans. Yeah, you've seen a little bit of where Scott Bakula takes him in, in later seasons. I think really this was, you know, as a character, Archer's first way to, to stick it to the Vulcans, too. Oh, yeah. Knowing that something was up, because I think you could pretty much tell right away about where things were, and he just needed some confirmation on a couple things. And... Well, after he punched that Vulcan at the end in the face, what does Reed say to him? He's like, I don't know, violence in a monastery? Well, I can't remember what he <laughs> says. And he's like, yeah, it felt good. And you could tell from that, that was like, Archer's wanted to punch a Vulcan for his life. And he's never been able to. And that was the first time he got to do it. And yeah, you could tell that. So I enjoyed that. I always loved the Archer-Vulcan relationship. From and I don't think we ever even saw enough of it, <laughs> you yeah. know, as it went on. I would love to have seen more of it. But yeah, I thought I thought they all did great here. I like as well, it was the three, the core three that went down yeah. to the planet. I mean, it's terrifying for having that many senior crew <laughs> gone. <laughs> that's that's a Star Trek trope and they kept, kept it up. It so. is, it is. I'm glad, I'm glad they haven't dropped it. But I guess Discovery's kind of done better with it. We don't see the captain leave the ship very often on Discovery. Yeah. And then when Lorca did, he, <laughs> he did get captured almost straight away. Well, there's so much to like about this episode and... I like that it was to Paul that noticed things were wrong in the monastery. And then she mentions it to Archer. And then when they start going on and Archer starts his usual talking to keep them talking and mm-hmm. survey the room. I like that to Paul then joins as well and makes his eyes like you feel in that bond that she's now part of the team. And she yeah. after everything she'd said before about, you know, don't talk unless you're spoken to and all these things. And it was like, yeah, now she's with the team and she doesn't trust what's going on here. Something's yeah. not right. And. I think it was very clear in this episode that she was one of the Enterprise crew now. Now, let's kind of go on to similar episodes. Is there anything that comes to mind straight off the bat for you? No, not for me. I hadn't really thought about it. Well, that idea of having our expectations completely flipped upside down with a Trek race. No, I can't. I imagine some will come to me as we move on to other parts, but how about you? For me right now, really, it's only in name mostly, but the Enterprise incident from the original series. Right. There's a half-cock plan to, to steal some technology in this case. and It just kind of snowballs into something a little similar, but not entirely. So. And what's that one in so long? Is that the one where they're trying to get the cloaking device? Which one's that? The Enterprise yeah, Incident? That's, yeah, that's the one where yes, they take, wow. take the, the cloaking device. Yeah. Gosh, I haven't probably watched that in years. And I'm amazed that I, I remembered that one. I can't think of where they've really pulled the rug out from underneath us with what we thought about the Vulcans and, and stuff like that. I love the moving antennae mm-hmm. on the Andorans. Just want to say as well, like I thought it's been kept for Discovery. Discovery yeah. have kept that feature when they've used them. I think Discovery has, I could be wrong. I feel like they've run with smoother foreheads. Yeah, I think a little smoother, smoother foreheads. Uh, which is a bit more like what they were. There again, we can use actually Picard for this where the Northerners have more, more of the ridges yeah. and the Southerners are smooth. Exactly. That explains all differences in makeup now, I think. And actually, we can probably trace that back to 2005 with Eggleston saying lots of planets have a north. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Who uh, reference, yeah. Yeah, so I think so much stuff worked in this episode. And also, even though it's slow, you could rewatch it. I could, like, watch it again right now. Yeah. And I wouldn't be on my phone the whole time. You know, I'd be sat there watching it. I just think there's so much cool shit going on. 
Yeah, I think that's also why my tweet on it was just so short, just because I was invested in it. Yeah, when you know everything that happens as well. Yeah. Like you know exactly what's going to happen. Because nothing can beat that gut punch for DePaul and Archer at the end. Where, and even, did you see the face on the Andorian that was with Shran? When they open the door and they see everything, like his his face, his eyes are, he is like yeah. wide-eyed. He's like, oh my God, we were right. Yeah. I think he might have been one of the ones that was questioning whether, whether questioning or not, it as know. it was going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, gosh. I need to rewatch the sequels to it now. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a good time for final thoughts here. So I'll let you go ahead and go first. As I said, the world building in this episode is fantastic. You sensed it was happening at the time, not knowing what was going to come, and actually what did come was probably better than we could have even thought of, I think, with where they took the relationships with the Andorians and the Vulcans. And they never dropped the ball with it either, you know. No. They they saw that one through. Like, that storyline, even though the show got cancelled before it should have, that storyline got completed Yeah, with the Vulcans and Andorians. I really enjoyed the change of pace to the previous episodes, which I think even Trip is complaining about at the start, the idea that they're going to places that the Vulcans have been and stuff like yeah. that, you know, and they, why, why aren't we out exploring the unknown? Because this is unknown to us. Yeah, so like I thought fantastic performances from the cast, as we know, it was one of the best group of actors I think Trek have had. And I enjoyed the interrogation scenes mm-hmm. with Archer. I thought they were done well, a bit of blood felt gritty but at the same time it still felt like star trek yeah and maybe that was also you know roxanne dawson being behind the camera uh, not literally but you know roxanne dawson's work kept it even though i said she tried some things that i didn't think she committed to enough she still came with that trek sensibilities that made sure it felt like an episode of star trek yeah the lighting was fantastic as well by oh, the way. you know in the definitely. room where they're all where they're all being held in that mm-hmm. room. Um, I thought the lighting coming through the windows was fantastic. So very good work done on it. I enjoyed the episode. Yeah, and also how the, the lighting came in through the face there when, when Trip's mm. grabbing the, the statue. This was the first time, actually, just on that statue. Like, I'd never noticed how much they showed us that statue before it became significant. Like, one of the early shots in the room, like it, when it cuts to a different part of of the yeah. room and then I think it's kind of focuses. <laughs> yeah and then it, then it pans around the room but it starts on that and pans around and i was like man they, they give you like three or four clear shots of it before they establish what it is and i'm not really sure if it's the exact same statue that we see first but it's definitely similar style hmm. it's like hey you might want to pay attention to the statues to see what happens overall i thought one of the better episodes in that start of the show but i've always been of the belief that enterprise had a really strong start with all of its episodes but this was really good fun and and yeah started some arcs that weren't temporal cold war and stuff so i loved it it's good fun this is one i definitely keep in sort of a a short list of if you want to know about enterprise watch this episode list because you know it kind of establishes you know kind of shows you how archer is shows you where to pull starts how those two and trip interact at, at that time and it also sets the foundation for, you know, stuff that we'll see in later seasons as well, so. Hmm. On 28th of October, 2020, our weekly discussion will focus on the Enterprise novel, What Price Honor? This was a second original Enterprise novel, following by the book, which we have previously reviewed on this podcast. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss in our 28th of October show, then please dig out your copy of What Price Honor, or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our next book club discussion. The Expanse.
a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep your shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. Google Clippy Microsoft Word. It was a little paperclip, like animated paperclip that would pop up when you were using Microsoft Word, and it was like a little helper. And there are going to be more comments on it in this episode, too, so we'll get to those. Right. You kind of have to be older like us to get that. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. And Nick goes on, but before he does, I want to just congratulate him on being a doctor now. Congratulations, Dr. Nick. Woohoo! Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. But then again, senior officer meeting, why is Harry Kim in there? He's an ensign. Because he is the senior ops bridge person. I don't know. Yeah, but that's what doesn't make sense to me. If he's like the senior ops person, does that mean everyone below him is just a crewman? He's a crewman. <laughs> because he can't boss even Lieutenant Junior grades around. Oh my gosh. So their ops department is just a mess because it's just crewmen. Oh, it's a mess also. That explains a lot. (laughs) Actually, it does, doesn't it? Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Starpod Trek, a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. And remember that Gene Roddenberry wrote the novel for the motion picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, about the search for God and everything, that part of it. And there's a lot of details in that novel that didn't make it to the picture that actually opens up the scope of the Star Trek universe even more so. I mean, it's a great read. Yeah, he put put other stuff in it. And but you know, but I, but Scotty being a drunk, I don't know why he like why wouldn't know, Scotty just yeah, continue yeah. to be an engineer and you know be a proud worker and Starfleet officer. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.